Section five of Women and the Republic. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Cyril, Singapore. Women and the Republic by Helen Johnson. Chapter three, part two. The third count in the indictment runs. He has withheld from her rights which are given to the most ignorant men, both natives and foreigners. Dr. Jacobi represented the suffrage cause before the Special Committee of the Constitutional Convention of New York State in 1894. After drawing, in fine and truthfully glowing words, a picture of women's progress under the institutions and laws of the United States, she said, for the first time, all political right, privilege, and power reposes undisguisedly on the one brutal fact of sex, unsupported, untempered, unalloyed by any attribute of education, any justification of intelligence, any glamour of wealth, any prestige of birth, any insignia of actual power. Today, the immigrants born in, through the open gates of our seaport towns, the Indian when settled in severity, the Negro hardly emancipated from the degradation of two hundred years of slavery, may all share in the sovereignty of the state. The white woman, the woman in whose veins runs the blood of those heroic colonists who founded our country, of those women who helped sustain the courage of their husbands in the Revolutionary War, the woman who may have given the flower of her youth and health in the service of our civil war, that woman is excluded. Today, women constitute the only class of sane people excluded from the franchise, the only class deprived of political representation, except the tribal Indians and the Chinese. To the same effect, the editors of the suffrage history say, the superiority of men does not enter into the demand for suffrage, for in this country all men vote, and as the lower orders of men are not superior to the higher orders of women, they must hold and exercise the right of self-government on some other ground than superiority to women. Here it would seem that Mrs. Stanton and Miss Anthony had been thinking, but they never followed their own thought to its inevitable conclusion. Universal manhood suffrage does relieve the men of this country from the unjust aspersion the women of the suffrage movement put upon them, that they excluded women on account of inferiority. No Native American, by the very fact of that nativity, is bound to support the constitution of the united states and no foreign-born citizen who has taken the oath of allegiance to it has a right by his vote to do anything that will imperil or impede the carrying out of his principles and his commands the establishment of justice the ensurement of domestic tranquillity provision for the common defence security and the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity cannot be perfected or maintained without the present exercise and the reserve power of manhood strength. This government laid aside all attributes of education, or glamour of wealth, or prestige of birth, and committed its life to the keeping of its defenders. In this land, the vote is the insignia of actual power. But it is only the insignia. The power to defend themselves and those who make country and home worth defending lies with the individual defenders. 
to attempt to put it into the hands of those who are not physically fitted to maintain the obligations that may result from any vote or any legislative act is to rend the law of farce and to betray the trust imposed upon them by the constitution they have sworn to uphold universal manhood suffrage is the crowning result in the long evolution of government our statesmen of the revolutionary period did not contemplate it but stability was the thing for which they sought the thing of which all statesmen of old times had been searching if a government is not stable it is of little consequence that it is full of noble ideals and the most far-reaching thought has now grasped the idea that manhood strength is the natural and only defense of the state this is the underlying theory of our government the one solid rock on which she rests when any question of governmental policy comes up we virtually decide it sooner or later by a manhood vote and as the decision has a majority of the men of the country behind it there is no power that can overthrow it if we attempt to establish policies or execute laws to which a majority of the men are opposed we throw away our one assurance of stability and are in constant danger of revolution even in the comparatively brief history of our republic there are plentiful instances to show that a majority of men will not submit to a minority no matter how many non-combatants are joined with the minority to give women a position of apparent power without its reality would be to make our government forever unstable this is placing the christian and civilized government that stands as an example of peaceful progress on a foundation of brute force cries the suffragist the founders of the women's suffrage movement apparently did not take the least account of either the military or the judicial powers that are provided for in every state constitution as well as in the nations they demanded immediate admission to all the rights and privileges which belonged to them as citizens of the united states but said not a word about the duties disabilities and money laws involved in the possession of those rights and privileges the fathers of the revolution closed their declaration of independence from the tyranny of england by pledging their lives their fortunes and their sacred honor to attend it the mothers of the women's rebellion closed their declaration of independence from the tyranny of men and especially from the tyranny of the united states government with the pledge to distribute tracts and hold conventions while they depended upon the courtesy of the tyrants to protect them in the peaceful execution of their design is it any wonder that the descendants of the old heroes who had fought their way to our liberties smiled when the by-laws of the whitby revolt were handed to them when the attention of the women was called to the fact that force was needed and that women were exempt from military service and jury and police duty they answered that in an age when the wrongs of society are adjusted in the courts and at the ballot box material force yields to risen and majorities so successful has our government been in carrying out the benign purposes for which its heroes staked their lives their fortunes and their sacred honor that in ordinary times we see little of the strength that stands quietly but firmly behind every law's enactment and every post decision the strong arm of the law would lose its power to compel obedience if behind the decree of judge 
jury and legislators there was not a sheriff or a body of militia ready to commit the unconsenting criminal to prison or to take care of an unruly minority at an election the minority do not acquiesce in the decision of the majority because the outcome of the vote has convinced them that the majority were right and they were wrong they have not become suddenly converted to the views of the majority that decision as recorded by the ballot shows that if the minority do not keep their opinion in abeyance there are men enough on the other side to compel them civilization has advanced so far that instead of blows there are arguments in court instead of bullets there are ballots at the posts but the blows and the bullets must always be ready in case the arguments and the ballots are unheeded the physical strength that was given to man to use like every other gift of the good of the race he is so using when he holds it as a dni chosoch for law and order dr jacobi says in her address capacity to bear arms in fulfillment of military duty is not in the state of new york reckoned among the necessary qualifications of voters the statement is also made by other suffragists the numerous classes of men who enjoy political rights are exempt from military duty all men over forty-five all who suffer mental or physical disability such as the loss of an eye or a forefinger clergymen physicians quakers school teachers professors and presidents of colleges judges legislators congressmen state prison officials and all county state and national officers fathers brothers or sons having certain relatives dependent upon them for support all of this summed up in every state will make millions who may be exempted and therefore there is no force in the plea that if women vote they must fight it is not true that any class of voters is exempt the state regulating that matter as it regulates the age and residence of voters as long as he has more defenders than he needs for immediate use makes demand upon the youngest or strongest but if he needs them all then all must serve again all whether young or old perfect or imperfect must be reckoned with as elements of making up the count lawless men do not exempt themselves from riot and rebellion because they are lame or over forty-five in the south during the rebellion there were few indeed who did not serve in some capacity if there were blind and aged men enough to make real difference in majorities americans would quickly see the propriety of doing as some republics that have to stand with arms more at attention have done and exclude them from the vote but suppose all those mentioned were really exempt how would that apply to women if a like number were counted out there would still be a goodly array from the maiden of twenty-one to the matron of forty-five from which the doll mrs stanton and miss anthony write women have led armies in all ages have held positions in the army and navy for years in disguise have fought bled and died on the battlefield in our late war the isolated occasions on which they have done so are not such as to commend the practice neither do the suffragists propose seriously to commend it dr jacobi in her address before the committee of the constitutional convention says we do not admit that exemption from military duty is a concession of courtesy for which women should be so grateful as to refrain from asking for anything else
the military functions performed by men and so often perverted to most atrocious uses have never been more than the equivalent for the function of child-bearing imposed by nature upon women it is not offensive nor sentimental it is an exact and just equivalent the man who exposes his life in battle can do no more than his mother did in the hour she bore him and the functions of maternity persist and will persist to the end of time while the calls to arms are becoming so faint and rare that three times since the revolutionary war an entire generation of men has grown up without having heard them this question of military service is not a question of equivalence at all sentimental or otherwise it is a question of the actual service and as to the service to the state given by women in bearing sons the men work not only to support those sons but to support also their mothers and sisters and that far beyond the child-bearing age of the mother as to the rareness of the calls i read of seven wars since the revolution and three insurrections not counting the riots and strikes at chicago homestead brooklyn and in the mountains in the west dr jacoby said in an article in the new york sun two years ago we do not vote for war that appears like a quibble for we vote for what brings or may bring it but neither is it exact in fact three times at least in our history men have deposited their ballots in the box knowing that the result meant peace or war this war at the second election of medicine in eighteen twelve the election of polk in eighteen forty four and that most solemn of all the acts of our countrymen the second election of president lincoln there have been other elections in which war issues were linked with the decisions but in a less direct way the same writer says also the will of the majority rules for the time being not as is being crudely asserted because it possesses the power by brute force to compel the minority to obey its behests but because after ages of strife it has been found more convenient more equitable more conducive to the welfare of the state that the minority should submit until through argument and persuasion they shall have been able to win over the majority not that this stage in the evolution of modern society has been reached it has become possible for women to demand their share also in the expression of the public opinion that is to rule they cannot claim this while it was necessary to defend opinions by arms but this is no longer either necessary or expected how long is it since this comfortable state of things was evolved has england consented to it in view of venezuela and the monroe doctrine it would be necessary to have her has been mentioned her resignation of a right to appeal to arms in case she was not pleased with the conduct of our government in regard to cuba does the south know about it so that in case we see a good fair fighting chance to help the armenians he will understand that the ages of strife are over and that persuasion has been found more equitable and convenient than a resort to arms and the czar and the erratic german emperor are they in the evolutionary agreement force is just what men are able to make it it is not brutish unless it is brutishly used there is as much force in the world today as there ever has been but it is better applied 
it is the object of a christian civilization to persuade more and more men to come to the defense of good against evil in forms of government despotism and absolutism are corrupt uses of force republicanism and a constitutional government are its nobler uses but the force is still behind them or there would be no power to continue such liberal forms during the first republic marathon and thermopylae saved the principle of western democracy against oriental despotism salamis and Plataea saved greek letters and greek art to the continents that were yet to be christianity changed the motive but not the method in evolution and finally in the last great republic the american revolution proclaimed liberty of thought the war of eighteen twelve secured american independence well beside the wandering antietam and on the field of gettysburg green regiments went to their graves like bats that the union might live and that human slavery might die manhood force led by intelligence and goodness is the bulwark of the maternity that must persist if heroes are to be dr jacoby's admission that women could not claim the vote while it was necessary to defend opinions by arms is a vital one for it contravenes her entire argument another plea of the suffrage leaders is that men send substitutes and so good women the answer in regard to exam classes will apply here also because in case of need both substitute and substitutor are obliged to serve during our civil war the fact that a man has sent a substitute did not prevent him from being called in the next draft the state claims both men as its defenders but whom do the women propose to substitute other women no they propose to substitute men the suffragists seriously suggest that half the population exempted by nature from military duty shall become organic members of a government whose reliance embodied in every constitution is upon the ability and the willingness of its organic members to do military duty in defence of those constitutions and that this exempted half may have it as their sole office in case of war to vote when and where the lives the fortunes and the sacred honour of those other organic members shall be laid down or imperilled suffrages seem to forget when they boast of joan of arc that the army she led was masculine the english socialist mrs stanton bletch daughter of elizabeth katie stanton in her addresses in this country two years ago said woman is not protected through chivalry but because the men know that to put women to the front is national suicide women's part in war is not to well or whip but to furnish the army for the future then there is to be an army for the future was there no national suicide when over three million men were put to the front in the rebellion and more than five hundred thousand north and south laid down their lives so that through the veins of this generation runs none of the gallant blood they spilt shall the fathers impossible fathers be the only ones to die if the mothers and betrothed proclaim themselves no longer desirous of being protected by such high sacrifice if women cease to weep and well will men not cease to be willing to be furnished by them to the army at any cost one good is cheap the soldiers die lest women weep and this reward is great and high the women weep that soldiers die women and soldiers cannot transpose their work the duty of each to the republic is equally great and high 
but in order to be done it must be kept distinct as now but all this is subordinate to the real or vital question in the passages just quoted the writers make an arrow that is mixed so persistently by all suffragists whenever the argument of force is alluded to that it seems necessary to repeat the explanation they assume that this argument briefly stated is the men do the fighting therefore they ought to be rewarded with a ballot that is not the argument it is no matter of reward the argument briefly stated is this stability is one of the highest virtues that any government can possess and perhaps the most necessary it can have no stability if it issues decrees that it cannot enforce the only way to avoid such decrees is to make sure that behind every law and every policy adopted stands a power so great that no power in the land can overthrow it the only such power possible consists of a majority of the men therefore the only safe thing for the government to do is to carry out the certain will of a majority of the men this does not always secure ideally good laws but it does secure stability and avoids revolution the majority may blunder but they are the only power that can correct their own blunders but war does not call for the only form of public service there are others provided for in the national and state constitutions which are constant and exacting they are jury police and militia duty when a boy reaches twenty-one the law says to him you are my servant if a fire breaks out the foreman can legally lay his hand on the boy's shoulder and say help to put out this conflagration when the law is broken the sheriff can say to him help me make this arrest when a turn of the judicial wheel brings ali's name he must serve the state on jury if a riot augurs he can be caught out to quell it and if a war arises he can be drafted to fight against the country's enemies there is not a single act of defence to which the voter was subjected by law when the constitution was framed to which he is not subject now and subject because he is a voter the vote is not given to him as a reward for standing ready to give this service to the state it is a recognition by the state that as he must stand ready to defend it he should assist in establishing the laws which he may call upon him to enforce as he has assisted to frame them he cannot refuse to defend them woman's only relation to this defence is that of beneficiary and therefore her relation to the laws with which that defence is associated must be one of advice and not of control fortunately for her advice may prove sometimes to be control of the most satisfactory kind a kind that admits of mental power and does not exact physical the statement is further made by suffragists that though women needs protection of women against his whole sex in pioneer life in threading her way through a lonely forest on the highway or in the streets of a metropolis on a dark night she sometimes needs too the protection of all men against this one but even if she could be sure as she is not of the ever-present all-protecting power of one strong arm that would be weak indeed compared with the subtle all-pervading influence of just an equal loss for all women hence woman's need of the ballot that she may hold in her own right hand the weapon of self-protection and defence the possession of the ballot has not been able to secure for men the subtle and all-pervading influence of just and equal laws 
and despite his holding the ballot in his own hand man has had to hold also more apparent weapon if you visit a striker's camp or meddle with an anarchist riot something more tangible than protective influence is needed to make the public streets of the city safe for women in broad daylight again they say that wisdom would suggest a vision of labor in peace as well as in war wisdom would have no chance to make such a suggestion if women attempted to do the same work as do men in the same way there is true division of labor now in peace as well as in war end of section five recording by Zerong, singapore